Well, would you open your Bible this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be looking today. This month we have been considering the church's role in missions, and, and we finished last week by discussing the church's role in missions of supporting the missionaries. Of course, it's our responsibilities to supply the missionaries as we reach people in our community with the gospel, and as we disciple believers, um, we pray that the Lord will call some uh, to uh, go to other places and preach the gospel with, with those who are lost so that they might be saved. And so we supply the missionaries, and then it's our privilege to send them. Um, missionary agencies are helpful, but technically speaking, they are not the ones who send the missionaries. It is the local church uh, who has the responsibility and the privilege of doing that. And then once the missionaries are sent, we have the responsibility of supporting them. And we do that by giving monetarily, financially, to meet their needs. But we also do that with prayer and active involvement as we do our job here. And as we participate in their ministry as much as possible, we continue to be a source of encouragement. And today I want to I cap off this uh, series about missions by looking at a passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that is all about giving. And the title of the message today is Giving by Grace. Giving by Grace. I want to read verses 6 through 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I invite you to read along as I read aloud. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning of verse 6. How about now? All right. China apparently is listening in on our service and having fun with our sound system. Let's try this again. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help us to be able to focus in on you and on your word for these next few minutes. We know that the devil hates the truth. He hates the gospel. He hates the scripture. He hates your people. He hates you. And He will do everything in His power to distract us from the important message that You have for us today. So I pray that You would, uh, you would just enable us to focus, that You would prevent those distractions from drawing our attention away. And Lord, that we would each consider how we can best honor You with what we give to meet the needs of others, and especially in the context of giving to missions. Lord, that we would be willing to give abundantly and generously to further the work of the uh, ministry throughout the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. Much of our life revolves around money when you really stop to think about it, whether it's earning money, saving money, or figuring out how to spend it or invest it. It just uh, really is a, a huge factor in existence. And 
Uh, we may not like that. We may begrudge the fact that that is the case, but nevertheless, that's the world in which we live. And so it makes sense then that there are more references to money in Scripture than almost any other topic. And it also explains why people can get kind of defensive whenever the subject of money comes up for discussion. The biblical perspective on money is to realize that everything that we have, including our finances, comes from God. And He's given it to us for a little while, expecting us to be good stewards of it. And that means doing with our finances what God has instructed us in the Word of God to do with our finances. When we look in Scripture, we see again many scriptural principles for how to handle money, which by the way, they actually do work in real life. When you follow biblical principles um, for being a good steward, you find that all things being equal, uh, you do a lot better uh, managing the money that God has given you. But among other things, following biblical principles means giving some of our money in tithes and in offerings to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we find principles about giving, specifically about giving generously. In verse number 6, the Bible says, "...he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully." Now, God has never promised that we would have earthly wealth, that we would be wealthy by the world's standards. But He does promise that if we live generously, and that means giving generously, that He will see to it that we always have what we need, and often more than we need. God's grace will work in our lives, enabling us to continue to honor Him by giving generously. Now, I believe there is a special application to be made of this principle in the context of giving to missions. We talked last week about how missions is expensive. To travel to another place and to uh, establish yourself and preach the gospel requires funds. We looked at this, the uh, ministry of the Apostle Paul and how that he was oftentimes uh, dependent on the generosity of believers in order to be able to continue to do the work of the ministry. There were times where he did work and support himself, but then there were other times where he was able to live off of the gifts and the generosity of others. And he wrote to the Philippian believers in Philippians 4, thanking them for their gift and... Uh, and uh, and, and telling them that the Lord would bless them uh, because they had been a blessing to Him. And so it, is, it does take funds in order to reach the world with the gospel. And we have an opportunity to give specifically to help meet the need of reaching the world with the gospel by giving to missions specifically. Now, different churches do things different way, but the way that Philadelphia Baptist Church has funded missions for many, many years now is through the specific designated missions giving of God's people. And over the years, God has enabled our church to give millions, probably now at this point, of dollars uh, to specifically to missions. And the way that we operate, we have a, a completely separate accounting for the funds that come in for missions. Those go 100% to be reserved to be used for the work of missions. 
And over the years, the Lord has blessed that. And it's always a blessing to me as we have visitors come into our church. Uh, if they ever go over on that hallway uh, between the blue room and the kitchen, they'll see our mission board. And inevitably, people who are visiting our church will, will stop and they will just kind of look at the board. And, and I've had people ask me many times, do you support all these missionaries? And, uh, and I say, no, we just like their pictures. That's what we, no, I tell them, yes, actually, we do. We support all of those, all of those missionaries. Our church supports over 40 uh, individual missionaries and missions agencies at this point. And God has enabled us uh, at this point, we're giving close to $60,000 a year to missions. And that's because God's people give generously um, to, uh, to fund the work of missions. Now, I am a firm believer that we ought always to consider whether or not we are doing everything the Lord wants us to do and whether or not there's another step that God wants us to take. And I think it is good for us on a regular basis to ask that question about missions. I am particularly burdened this year that our church be able to do some more for missions because in this last year we've had several missionary families that have come off the field for various reasons. They've not been able to continue and uh, so we're, we're, we've ended up with some gaps in our missions program. And uh, I'm also particularly burdened that we, we emphasize church planning missionaries and missions all across the world. Uh, right now, um, about 60% of our missions funds goes specifically to church planning missionaries. And in my opinion, I think we can bring that up a little bit. We ought to bring that up a little bit. I think it should be a little bit higher of percentage. And, and so I look at where we are as a church and our giving to missions, and I'm very thankful for where we are. But I, I always want to ask the question of myself and, and of our church, is there another step that God wants us to take? And I want you to consider that with me today as it relates to our giving to missions. Can we do more? Is there another step we can take? Does God want us uh, to give a little more in order to reach the world with the gospel? If so, what exactly does that look like? And so as we look at these principles of giving by the grace of God today... Uh, I hope that it will encourage you that, that as you consider that, not to be scared about what God might want you to give. Because as I said, often because money is so important to us, anytime the topic comes up, uh, we get a little bit agitated and apprehensive. But hopefully this message will encourage you today that whatever God wants you to give, God is more than able to supply the needs so that you can give that and He will bless you for doing it. Number one, notice from verse number six, the amount of giving. Now, let's just get this question out of the way right away. Because, you know, when it comes to finances, there is one question that is always asked. I know I ask it. I'm sure you ask it too. And the question is this, how much? How much? Anytime we're, we're considering financial things, all right? So when I get the email from the power company, you know, the first question that I see, I see their name in the sending box. You know what I'm asking before I even open the email? How much? How much? Especially if it's the summer months here in Georgia, right? Um, and if I get a letter from the IRS, they're usually not writing to wish me happy birthday, okay? Thankfully, I don't get those uh, uh, except uh, maybe on a rare occasion. Uh, but if you, get, if you just see IRS on the envelope, you start having a panic attack, you know, because it's, all right, how much? And that's the question we all want to ask of anything to do with finances, how much? So how much does God want us to give? Well, verse number six says this, 
He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now, in the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is talking about a special offering that the church at Corinth had committed to take up for the needy saints in Jerusalem. It had been a year since they made that commitment and they hadn't followed through. So Paul was writing to encourage them to do what they said they were going to do. So he's talking about giving something above and beyond their regular giving, a special offering we might call it, of sorts. And so he, when he gets to this point in chapter number 9, he reminds them of a biblical principle that's universal. It applies to everyone, no matter uh, how rich or how poor, no matter how young, no matter how old. Everyone, this is a universal spiritual principle that he articulates here in verse number 6. He which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now, I believe that there is a minimum amount that Scripture teaches we are to give to the Lord. It's called the tithe. Now, the tithing was included in the Old Testament law, but it was not first introduced there. The first mention of tithing is actually Abraham when he gave tithes to Melchizedek. And the scriptural principle is that the tithe is the Lord's. Technically speaking, when we bring our tithes, we're not giving them in the sense of a gift, but rather we are returning them. We're giving them back to the Lord. The tithe is the Lord's. And I'm, the message today is not about tithing, so I'm not going to dwell on this point. But I do recognize that some have debated whether tithing is still applicable in the New Testament church age. And some say, no, we ought to give more than a tithe. Well, if that's what you want to do, I am not going to stop you. Some say, no, we don't have to give anything at all. We just give whatever we feel like. I am of the firm conviction that Jesus settled the debate about tithing for us. Because in Matthew chapter 23, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. What is Jesus saying there? Well, he was reprimanding the Pharisees because they made a big deal about tithing. They tithed on even the most minuscule things right down to spices that may have been given to them as a gift or even in a meal. Can you imagine sitting down to a meal and trying to calculate the worth of the salt and pepper that went into it? They were so meticulous about these things that they would, they would calculate it down to that smallest amount. But Jesus said, you forgot a couple of other things that are really important like judgment, mercy, and faith. He was reprimanding them because they were out of balance. They were majoring on things that were actually small and they were minoring on things that were actually very important. But his final statement in this verse, Matthew 23, 23, he says, These ought ye to have done, that is, judgment, mercy, and faith, and not to leave the other undone. Now, what was the other that he's referring to? It was tithing. Jesus was saying, I'm not telling you to... Stop tithing. I'm telling you to start practicing judgment, mercy, and faith while you keep tithing. So it boils down to this. If Jesus said these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone, I believe firmly that it is scriptural for the New Testament believer to give back to the Lord 10% of all of their increase. Now, that being said, there is no instruction in Scripture for how much we ought to give beyond or above the tithe. 
There's going to be no verse that you'll find that will say you need to give 5% to missions or you need to give 3% uh, to uh, support uh, local community um, helps or you're to give this percent to do that. There's no place like that in all of the Bible. However, there are plenty of places where we are taught to give generously and we are told that if we do, God will bless us. Now, I believe God did this intentionally because of our tendency to do the minimum. All right? Let's use taxes again because we can all, uh, all relate to that. You know, when I, when I have my taxes done every year, you know what I want to know? I want to know how little can I pay. I've never once asked my tax preparer, hey, can I give some extra money to the U.S. government? They seem to be really hurting. <laughs> That's just not what I do. I want to know what's the least. And, and whenever it comes to buying stuff or spending our money, that's, that's usually what we want to know. And if God had put a, put a certain percentage on, on all of our offerings, then I think the human, our human nature would have said, let's do the minimum. But God has intentionally left it open-ended. So we need to flip it around and say, say it this way, there's no limit to what God wants you to give. It's between you and the Lord. God didn't say you can't do more than this. And that enables us to live and to give 100% totally generously. That's the principle of verse number 6 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The two opposites are given here, sowing sparingly or sowing bountifully. And sowing here is the idea of, of spreading seed. And the principle, of course, is that the more seed you sow the greater return, the, great, the more plant is going to grow. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 11, where we find this principle repeated in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 24 says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. The same imagery is used here to describe an attitude of generosity, a willingness to give generously. Now, 2 Corinthians 9 6 uses the word bountifully to communicate that idea of giving a lot. Um, Proverbs 11.25 uses the word liberal. That It's not in the political sense we think of today, uh, but in the sense of, of, of giving a lot. Um, God says that the liberal soul shall be made fat. And there's an irony here in verse number 24. says, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. That's the irony of sowing and reaping. That in order to sow, you have to let go of something. But because you're willing to let go of it, you actually get much more in return. And Paul uses this principle to encourage the Corinthian believers to give generously. Because if they give generously, then God will give generously back to them. It's an application of the law of sowing and reaping to our financial giving. That is a universal spiritual law. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And it's an application of that truth to giving. Now, the prosperity gospel preachers get it wrong when they say that this means God will make you wealthy. 
Here's where they go wrong. When they try to assign specific dollars, amounts, and percentages to giving. Send us your seed gift of $100 and God's going to bless you tomorrow with a gift of $1,000 in return. And they try to specify what God has not specified. God has never said, if you give X amount, then I'll give you this much specifically in return. But rather, God has said, if you give generously, then I will give generously back to you. God promises that He will bless us if we are generous in our giving. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. In proportion to how much you give, that's the proportion that will be given back to you. That's the scriptural principle. It's not so much then about how many total dollars that you give. It's not even so much about um, seeing a specific percentage return on investment. But it's the principle that if you live generously, God will give generously back to you. Turn over to Luke 21. Luke chapter 21. Some people get discouraged because they feel like they can't give a lot. They feel like because of their limited resources, they're just not able to do as much as maybe someone else could do. Some people use this as an excuse then to be stingy and not generous, to withhold their giving and say, well, I don't have much to give, so I'm not going to give much at all. But in Luke 21, we find a a story. This was a a real-life event. This is not a parable. Something that happened when Jesus was here on this earth, Luke 21. It says when he, verse 1, that is Jesus, when he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury, he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in, what's that next word there? More. He hath, she hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of the Lord. But she of her penury, of her poverty, hath cast in all the living that she had. Now, did she give more total dollars? No. She gave far less. In total dollars, her offering was minuscule, it was insignificant compared to what the rich men were able to give. Those rich men had more money stuffed in the cushions of their couches than this woman had in all the world. But yet on this day, she gave all her living. It wasn't much, but she was, it was all that she had. And Jesus said, she gave more. The scriptural principle then is not about total dollars. It's about a willingness to give all that you can. To live generously. So the amount of giving is between you and the Lord. But it should be your desire to give all that you can. Number two from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to notice with me. In verse number 7, the attitude of giving. The attitude of giving. 
We've established there is a minimum of giving that God expects, and that is the tithe that goes to support the work of the Lord in the local church ministry. But beyond that, there is no specific command in Scripture. That's why we refer to tithes and offerings. Offerings being above and beyond the minimum. It's up to us to follow God's guidance, to give as He leads. And what is more important than the dollar amount, however, is the attitude with which we give it. Especially when it comes to giving our offerings above our basic tithe. Look at verse 7 again of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I find three principles in this verse about our attitude toward giving. Number one, we ought to give purposefully. We ought to give purposefully. The verse says, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. That's referring to thoughtful giving, intentional giving, having considered the need and your ability to meet the need and having um, really gone to the Lord in consideration of this, asking the question, what can I do and what can I give by the grace of God? It's purposeful giving. I believe that, like everything else in the Christian life, it shouldn't be done simply out of duty or by habit or that's because we've way we've always done it, but I think we should do everything that we do intentionally, purposely, including our given, giving. Exodus 35 and verse number 5 says, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. A willing heart. Are we willing to give what God would have us to give? Especially in this area of missions. Or do we just give without really thinking about it, without really genuinely being concerned about reaching the world with the gospel? Do we just write a check to salve our conscience and say, well, I've done my part and now I can go on with my life? Or are we giving purposefully? Every man as he purposeth in his heart. I see a second principle here. Our giving should be private. We need to give privately. When it comes to giving... You know some people are very generous because they told you so. That's not scriptural. That's not scriptural. Now let me say this. It's not a sin if someone finds out how much you gave. We know what the widow woman gave that day because Jesus told us so. However, it is a sin if you give in order to draw attention to yourself. Notice that Paul said, as he purposeth in his heart. In his heart. This is to be a private decision that you make between you and the Lord, and your giving should never be done to draw attention to yourself. It should be done to glorify God. 
Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said there, Take heed that you do not your alms to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret." And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. That is the scriptural pattern of giving privately. It is to be so private that as it were our right hand didn't know what our left hand was doing. It's not to be done to draw attention to ourselves and make sure everybody sees us and knows how much that that we give. When it comes to giving to missions, and I'll say more about this at the end of the message today, but um, every year we allow you an opportunity uh, to turn in a grace-giving commitment card so that you can communicate what you believe that God would have you to give over the next 12 months specifically to missions through the ministry of Philadelphia Baptist Church. And I'm always very careful to point out that as we, we give out these cards, there is no place on here for you to write your name. We do not collect these and, and uh, put it into a database that automatically sends you reminders uh, to uh, make sure that you gave what you said you were going to give. We don't do anything like that. Uh, it's simply a way of you, number one, making a firm commitment of what you believe God would have you give and, and to help the church as well um, know where we're at in our giving to missions. And so it's to be very private, not to be done for show, not to be done uh, for our own glory, uh, but to be done strictly for the glory of God. We are to give purposefully, we are to give privately, and and principle number three, we are to give pleasurably. Pleasurably. Did you notice what the end of verse number seven says? So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Not grudgingly or of necessity, that's an attitude that says, oh, I've got to give this. I know if I don't, God's probably going to, you know, strike me with a lightning bolt or something. I better give something. That's not the kind of attitude that God wants us to, to have. But rather, he says cheerfully. God loveth a cheerful giver. In fact, the word that is translated cheerful is the word, Greek word that our English word hilarious comes from. Hilarious giving. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time when I have to spend my money, I don't find that hilarious. I don't. I don't usually belly laugh when I have to write a check for something. I just, my, I'm, I'm probably, I think like a lot of people, that it actually makes me a little happier when I get money rather than when I get rid of it. But you know, Jesus said in Acts 20 and verse 35, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's one of those verses of Scripture. There's a lot like this, but that's one of them that every time I read it, I get convicted. Because I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not there yet. I'm not to the point in my Christian walk where I am find it happier and more hilarious to me to be able to give something. But you know, I have, I believe, learned a little bit about that over the years. Just to give one personal example of this, when uh, Lane and I were first married, 
over the first few years of our marriage, um, we had, on I think three separate occasions, somebody gave us a vehicle or money to purchase a vehicle. On three separate occasions in the first few years we were married. And you know what? That was a huge blessing. And every time I got that gift, it was a thrill. Because it was a sign of God's provision and God was taking care of me. And, and by the way, uh, they were clunkers. I didn't care. It was God's provision and it made me so happy to get that. But you know, on one particular occasion, I was able to turn around and give a vehicle to someone else. And as I look back on it now, yeah, I enjoyed those vehicles and I was glad and I was happy. But looking back and seeing how God used me to bless someone else by giving them a vehicle, which, by the way, was a clunker. I get more joy from that memory today than even the joy I got from the memory of those three cars that were given me. And I think we all would admit that this is probably an area in our life that we need to grow, that we need to be more like Christ, so that we can get to the point where we can truly say we are happier to give than we are to get. We are to give pleasurably, not because we have to, but because we get to. And I love the way it's stated at the end of verse number 7. For God loveth a cheerful giver. I started trying to research this and um, it would take me, it was going to take much longer than I had time to do. But I, I wanted to research and find, is there any other statement in scripture where it says God loveth a, and then went on to describe a specific action, a specific act of obedience. In, my, in the brief time I had to look for that, I didn't find it, certainly not with this word combination. If you can think of one off the top of your head, I, in all seriousness, let me know. But I could not find and I could not think of another instance in Scripture where it says in, in, a, in relation to us doing something in act of obedience, God saying God loves a, you know, God wants us to do a lot of things. God wants us to be kind. But I don't know that there's a verse that says God loves a kind person. You see what I'm saying? But when it says here about our giving, it says that God loves a cheerful giver. Why is that? And by the way, the word love here is agape. God loves a cheerful giver. Why is it that God puts so much emphasis on this attitude of being, being a person who gives generously, a person who gives willingly, and a person who gives cheerfully? Well, one author put it this way, God loves it because it shows a heart like his own. A heart disposed to give cheerfully and to do good on the largest scale possible because it shows a heart attached from principle to his service and to his cause. In other words, God loves it because we're copying him when we do it. For God so loved the world that he gave and when we give purposefully, privately, pleasurably, we are honoring God, and God loves it when we do. Now, I want you to notice with me as we close, when it comes to giving by grace, there's a very important principle we must be sure of, and that is the ability of God. The ability of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 again in verse number 8. Notice what Paul goes on to say in this verse. He said, and God is able. 
And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Giving by grace is based on God's ability and not our ability. The ability to give is God's ability. In the same book of 2 Corinthians, Paul would write in chapter 3 and verse 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. If it were up to you and I, we would never be able to maintain a level of giving that we, could, that we can maintain by the grace of God. If it were up to us, we would always be below the level we could be. Now, Paul said that God is able to make all grace abound. The grace that he's talking about here is the grace of divine enabling. That God would empower the believer and enable the believer to do what they otherwise could not do without him. Now, in this particular context, he's talking about giving money. And he had used an example back in chapter 8 of the churches in Macedonia. Remember, we learned last week that Philippi was a city in Macedonia and would have been included in this instruction. He, he look, look in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse, uh, verse 1. He reminds the Corinthians to give what they committed to give, and he says, look at what the Macedonians did. They gave generously, and they did it out of their poverty. In fact, he says that they gave beyond their power. Look at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God... There's that phrase again. Bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. He says, look at the Macedonians. They were poor. Brother J.P. Whitley used to say, poor in Job's turkey. They were poor. They didn't have a lot. But notice what Paul said, they still gave. By the grace of God, they gave what they could, and they even gave more than they could. How does that even work? How do you give more than you can give? Well, it's the difference between giving in your own power and giving by the grace of God. When you're giving in your own power, you sit down with a pencil and a piece of paper and you do the math. And you say, all right, I can afford to do this. I can give this much and I won't really miss it. I'll still be able to do all these other things that I need to do and want to do. That's giving to your power. Giving beyond your power, you sit down with the same piece of paper and the same pencil and the same figures and you go through the math and you can say, I can't afford to give that. If I give this, the rest of this isn't going to make sense. My CPA is going to, going, to, going to ream me out if I do this, right? But you know what? I believe this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to give this. It may be beyond my power, but I'm going to trust God to take care of me. They gave out of their poverty. They gave to their power. They gave beyond their power. And you know what? God took care of them. God made sure that they had everything that they needed. Some people doubt God's ability to provide because they look at the circumstances, they look at reality, and they say, numbers don't lie. I can't afford to do such and such. 
As they, can, as they see it, they conclude that it's beyond their power. They're not willing to give by faith, trusting God to provide their needs instead of trusting in what they can see on their banking app, on their phone. You know, the widow woman who cast in all her living, how was she going to afford lunch the next day? How was she going to make rent? What if she needed new shoes? What if the wheels on her chariot needed rotating? I don't know if she had a chariot. But you know, she had needs. How were those needs going to be met? She'd given everything she had. She was just going to have to trust God to meet those needs. There's so many examples in Scripture of people who gave all that they had, literally, and God took care of them. Because that's what God does. God honors those who are willing to trust Him. You know, the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, were unwilling many times to trust God. They were frustrated because they didn't have as much as they wanted to have. At one point, they even asked, Can God provide a table in the wilderness? They doubted God's ability to provide for them. Folks, God can provide all your needs. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And when we give with a right attitude, trusting God to provide, not only can God meet our needs, but He will meet our needs. As Paul said to the Philippians, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And that was in the context of them having given to His ministry and the furthering of the gospel. God can and God will provide. Now notice how he says it here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he said that God will make the grace abound so that you always have all sufficiency in all things and you may abound to every good work. It's not, he's not promising that God will make you wealthy, but what God is saying is you will always have enough, all sufficiency in all things so that you can keep doing all the things that God wants you to do, so that you may abound to every good work. God promises that when you live and give generously, you will always have what you need. You know, there is no investment company in the world that can make that promise. There's no mutual fund that you can put your money in that comes with a 100% guarantee that if you invest in this, you'll always have everything you need. They, in fact, they're all very careful to tell you with every investment comes risk. With every investment, there comes risk. Now, it may be small risk, but there's risk there. However, this promise, there is no risk. God says you'll always have everything that you need. And you know what? Beyond that, you will often have more than you need. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. God gives us not only what we need, but often even more. He blesses us for our generosity. Now, when it comes to giving to missions, I believe we ought to support the work of missions all over the world. So some of you... Maybe you've never given to missions before, and you might be wondering, well, how much should I give? Well, that's a question between you and God. And I think the correct question to ask the Lord is, how much can I give? 
Some of you, you've been giving to missions for a long time. I would encourage you to consider, Lord, can I give more? Maybe it's not a lot more. Maybe it's just a little more. But if the need is greater than ever, then I think we ought to do more than ever to meet the need. But I think every one of us should have a desire in our heart to give generously. To honor the Lord with the right attitude. And to trust God to take care of our needs. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father... As we think about all that you have given to us, it ought to overwhelm us to realize just how much we've been blessed with. Even the poorest among us today are far richer than most people in the world. And Lord, it is truly a privilege to be able to give a portion of what you've given to us in order to bless others. And there is no greater way to bless a person than to give them the gospel. Lord, it's my prayer that Philadelphia Baptist Church would take the next step in our giving to missions and our support of missionaries all over the world. I pray that every believer, from the youngest child to the oldest among us, who has any ability at all to give, would be willing to let go and to give to honor you to the work of missions. I pray these things in Jesus' name.